I kind of took the theme of the travel back and again, I focus on women independent, women travelers from the past century. And so the collection is about them at the end of the day. this episode of Blazing, I'm talking to Francesca, the founder of Philander Number no. 18, a design project exploring textiles' cultural narratives through textile-centric editorials and capsule collections. So my name is Francesca and I'm currently doing a PhD at Nottingham Trent University, uh, so I'm based in Nottingham and my PhD is about looking into the revival of textile art in the last 20 years in the London art market scene. And then on the side, I run my editorial and fashion design project, which is called Philander Number no. 18. And with Philander Number no. 18, which I guess is going to constitute the bulk of our conversation, what they do is to basically research the narratives that are woven in textile crafts from different parts of the world, uh, from Italy, um, Austria, but also India, Uzbekistan. And I try to unravel the socio-economic narratives that wove in those textiles. And it's quite surprising because, you know, it's a way of looking at society now. It's a way of looking at history, but through textiles. Oh, that's amazing. So a PhD is quite a massive undertaking. So you must be really passionate about this particular area. So what drove you to do research in this particular area? So I guess I've always been interested into textiles and I've been collecting textiles when I, I travel quite a bit, uh, especially in the last 10 years. And I've always collected textiles. But what I was interested in besides the how textiles were made, I was actually interested in the narratives and the cultural component, and also what they say about society. So, for example, one of the first techniques that I approach is fulkari, which is basically these embroideries from Punjab in India. And the reason why I ended up looking at fulkari and researching it is because in Italy there's a large community of Punjabis working primarily in the agricultural sector. And then, you know, I was very interested in how cultures kind of come together and evolve and they create another identity. And so a way to look more into that culture was for me to look into the textiles that were traditional and part of that community. And then it's a journey that started in Italy, where I'm originally from. And what I did was basically research the Punjabi community in Italy, but also to look up the textiles, so Fulkari, through online articles, magazines, books. And then the journey led me to India, of course. So I work with a non-profit organization called Naba Foundation. And with them, we developed a few embroideries that then were assembled in a collection that was made in Italy. Again, I think that my journey always starts from a social narrative. And then I kind of unravel that narrative through textiles. Right. That's actually really interesting. So, for example, this Punjabi community in Italy. And when you went back, when you went to India and you looked at the Punjabi community there, is there an evolution of the textile style between the origin of the textile in India? And was there any evolution between that and how it currently is in Italy? That's actually something that is very interesting for me because I would see a lot of designers working with Fukari across the globe, I would say, especially in the US, but also in India. But then, you know, what happens is in Italy is that maybe people or families would have their heirlooms that would 
kind of keep and store in their houses. But then when, I, for example, I worked in uh, with the Napa Foundation, the idea was actually to revive the more traditional type of Okari. So in an essence, I think the practice is a little bit different. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that if designers are interested in looking at Fulcari, you see a lot of design evolution and innovation. But then when it, it comes to preserving the practice, at least for what I've seen so far, it was really about maintaining the traditional uh, design and patterns because they've been lost. Right. In the sense that in the past, the artist was also the craft person, the artisan making the Fulcari. But then once these textiles had commercial value so they were traded then we had a separation between the artisan and a designer right because basically you have communities of women that are commissioned to make handmade fukaris or the fukaris are made with the machine so i guess there's no if you look into the community of practices that are basically preserving this art, it's really difficult to find design innovation because they're basically replicating patterns that have been there for centuries. Right. And I guess in certain communities around the world, that's almost a way of preserving knowledge yeah. because you get that in like with like certain storytellers that nothing is written down, that they have apprenticeships where the only way for the story of a particular culture to be retained rather than written down is that it is learned by heart by the next generation. And that's how these stories are passed down from generation to generation. And I guess it sounds like it's, it's, it's a similar thing when it comes to textiles, where the lineage is drawn out by copying it from one generation to the next by that same community. Yes, and at some point, you know, you ask yourself if the community knows the history of the symbols that they are basically replicating, right? Because once again, I right. think if you talk to designers from different parts of the globe that are working on Fulcaris, um, primarily obviously of Indian origins, they work on the concept and they work with Fulcari because of the historical background, because of the meaning behind the embroidery technique. My PhD actually focuses on the revival of fiber art in Europe in the last 20 years. And with right. fiber art, I'm looking primarily at the art that uses a textile medium and is traded right. in, in the London art scene. So here we are looking, but it's still quite interesting because we are still talking about the narratives and of the value of textiles. And especially, you know, if you look at Europe, textiles have been often associated with the feminine identity and the female role in society. And it's been associated with marginalized communities, uh, political issues, craft. And while more recently we see more and more exhibitions in fine art institutions that actually feature textile artists or just textile pieces. And it's something that is quite fascinating for me because I look into the sociological and economic shifts that actually led to a reappreciation of textiles in the fine art scene and also in the art market. So it's a little bit different, but also we're always talking about textiles. <laughs> when it comes to Falanda number 18, what is that process? You mentioned that you work with a number of NGOs and you go and you make sure that you're locally present and you're understanding what is going on on the ground inside these communities. Are there particular steps that you take to start understanding these particular narratives and how does this feed into your process? You know, I always start from almost, I would say, a visual input over, or a story. So in the case of Fukari, it was a story about the Punjabi community 
in Italy and me meeting families that were telling me about Fukari. There have been other instances where actually the starting point is simply colors. So that's how I went into explore the textile technique of Ikat, for example. But also it could be some patterns that remind me of some artistic movement. And this, in this case, for example, I, I'm referring to Kanta and the Bauhaus movement. So Kanta is this embroidery technique where you, it's basically quilted cloth that are stitched together through a regular running stitch. And so in that case, was was quite interesting for me because those patterns reminded me again of the Bauhaus architecture, structure and patterns. But it's, it can also be unraveling some sort of textile techniques that I've always seen around me when I grew, grew up in Italy and trying to understand where that technique comes from. But just to go back to your question, I always start from a visual input or a story or, or just about questioning some textiles and trying to understand the story or how they're made, where they come from. And the first phase is really about researching. So from, you know, the simple YouTube, sometimes I don't know how a technique is done. So I just look into YouTube and just try and just understand how it's made. And then I move into just looking online, blogs, articles. And then I move to, let's say, the next level where I actually read articles from specialized magazines, such as Salvage magazine or Halley which focus on textile traditions. And then the last step, I would say, is I look into papers and, and journals and, you know, researchers that look into more the social historical art aspects of one particular technique. And then from there, you know, the very intellectual, I would say, foundation goes back to a more pragmatic one. So I basically look into the textiles. So, some, so I, in this case, I actually travel or visit the artisans that are still preserving that technique and really understand the materials, so the base cloth that they use. Are we talking about linen? Are we talking about cotton? Are we talking about wool? The dyes that they use. And so basically all the technical aspects of one particular textile. And then the process goes on because at that point I go back into the original input and ask myself why that textile attracted my attention in the first place. And then I basically, when it comes to design the collection, I basically mix the artistic inspiration with the, the technique that I'm working with. And basically from there, I develop a collection that has its own identity. So for example, going back with to the ikat that I use, I work with ikat from Uzbekistan and my inspiration was actually women travelers uh, from the beginning of the 20th century. The reason why I got into ikat in the first place is because I, I grew up in the Venice area in Italy and we are constantly bombarded by the concept of the silk route. And right. then, but we always talk about spices that were traded along that, that route. We talk about Marco Polo, you know, and a lot, all those legendary almost stories that come from the Silk Road. And I just question if there were textiles that they were trading back then and had some more stories to tell. And then I have, I did some research into Central Asian textiles, such as Susani and Ikat. And then I kind of took the theme of the travel back. And again, I focus on women independent women travelers from the past century. And so the, the collection is about them at the end of the day, but using ECOT as a primary heritage craft. Oh, great. So what comes first? Do you start thinking about a collection and then move on to your textile research? Or is it the other way around where you first 
start researching a textile, and then you start thinking about what sort of collection would be most appropriate for a particular type of textile. Yeah, it, it always comes from the textile. I start from the textile first. And when I research the textile, I, I get inspired by the narratives that are woven that textile itself. And then basically the idea develops as I move along. Right. So do you have a particular, um, and I realize I'm putting you on the spot right now, and <laughs> we, can, we, we can totally remove this later. But if there's an item in your current collection or in a past collection, if you could run us through the journey of how that particular piece came to be, from understanding the textile all the way to thinking, okay, this would make a great dress or something along those lines. Mm -hmm, yeah, I would actually think about the collections that focuses on Kanta. So as I mentioned earlier, Kanta is this stitching technique. We're basically talking about quilted cloth that have been stitched together through a running stitch. And originally Kanta is from the Kolkata area in India, right. and basically the Mingal area. And even though this has nothing to do with the Bauhaus movement, just the regularity of the stitch reminding me of architectures that I've seen around me in Europe primarily. And to do that, I actually teamed up with a studio based in Kolkata. Uh, the name is Afterlife Studio. And with them, we basically looked into the technique, but also looked into how the Bauhaus design could inform the, the fashion design of the pieces. And so it was quite interesting to work with the studio because they brought to the table, a background that I was not familiar with me, which was basically the quilting tradition of Bengal. Right. Uh, but we structured in such a way that actually the pieces are very structured. Again, recalling the Bauhaus, um, slightly probably Japanese at the end. Uh, it was not very intentional, but <laughs> we, right. we just we just reached that point and the, the cloth were hand-dyed in the studio in Kolkata and then hand embroidered always in Kolkata. And here we're talking about 50% of the collection because the other 50% I basically created in our studio in Italy where I use that stock fabric and I basically combine these handmade items with items that are uh, more industrially produced and use basically textile fabric from the local factories. Right. So almost like a fusion between Italy and this technique in India. Yeah, I mean, it's a conversation that we had. Basically, the conversation was about Kanta and Bauhaus and how similar these two styles were. But then we ended up creating a collection that is almost Japanese. And, and this is how the, the process on time yeah. uh, goes. Absolutely. It, yeah. You never know where your creativity exactly. might take you. <laughs> yes. Oh, amazing. And you've, you've already alluded to this a bit already during this conversation. So when you're in the middle of putting a collection together and also after you've got a collection together and you need to you know, visually represent the collection maybe on various mediums, what is your approach for working with other creatives, whether it's another design house like you mentioned in India or maybe even an editorial where you're working with a photographer and a stylist to represent your vision. What's your process for working with other creatives? Mm -hmm. You know, I think the most important element with working with other creators is the, or creatives, sorry, 
is the communication skills. Uh, it's fine to have different visions, and I find that actually very enriching. But as long as it's easy to to talk, I think that's an excellent sign that the collaboration is going well. When it comes to representing, I think at the beginning I really sketch because maybe the ideas come to mind as I move along with the research. So basically, it's it's really basic. I just sketch on paper. And then I, I try to communicate that idea with images that span from architecture to fashion to embroideries to, again, photography of objects, cartoons sometimes. And I build together, put together a, a mood board, essentially. So if I think about the, the Kanta collection, the, the first idea was really to kind of merge a bunch of inputs together and then communicate that with the studio. And then with the studio, we co-developed designs that were in line with the original mood board. And there, of course, we use the traditional fashion design sketching process. Great. So I think you're making it sound a bit too... Um, you sound like you get along with everyone. I'm sure that isn't the case, right? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> what about the hard conversation? The hard conversation. <laughs> you know, I think that's the point. You know, you it happens that sometimes you start working with people and I'm talking about suppliers i'm talking about other creatives but then the relationship starts but also ends eventually but again i don't think it's ever a matter of artistic vision um, right. i think actually having different artistic visions is quite enriching but it's really about the communication it's about honesty it's about empathy almost and trying to understand where the person is coming from and i think there are some people that i work with that have those skills and these are people that i started to work with with three years ago where when Philando started they're still with me and there are people who came and went along the way because again it's not a matter of vision because maybe the vision was there we had similar visions but the, the way right. the way we were communicating the way we were working together was not viable for the long term oh amazing it looks like it's been an amazing three years <laughs> yes <laughs> Oh, perfect. So how can our listeners find you online? So our website is philanda18, so www.philanda18.com. And also we are on Instagram at philanda18, so that we have basically the same name for both channels. Thank you for listening to this episode of Blazin. If you enjoyed the episode, remember to subscribe and rate and review us on your favorite streaming platform. You can also find us on blazin.refstance.com.